Chapter Two of Jack and Jill. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Anderson. Jack and Jill by Louisa May Alcott. Chapter Two, Two Penitents. Jack and Jill never cared to say much about the night which followed the first coasting party of the season, for it was the saddest and the hardest their short lives had ever known. Jack suffered most in body, for the setting of the broken leg was such a painful job that it had wrung several sharp cries from him and made Frank, who helped, quite weak and white with sympathy, when it was over. The wounded head ached dreadfully. And the poor boy felt as if bruised all over, for he had the worst of the fall. Doctor Whitting spoke cheerfully of the case, and made so light of broken legs that Jack innocently asked if he should not be up in a week or so. Well, no, it usually takes twenty-one days for bones to knit, and young ones make quick work of it. Answered the doctor, with a last scientific tuck to the various bandages. Which made Jack feel like a hapless chicken trussed for the spit. Twenty-one days, three whole weeks in bed. I shouldn't call that quick work," groaned the dismayed patient, whose experience of illness had been limited. It is a forty days' job, young man, and you must make up your mind to bear it like a hero. We will do our best, but next time look before you leap, and save your bones. Good night. You'll feel better in the morning. No jigs, remember. And off went the busy doctor for another look at Jill, who had been ordered to bed and left to rest till the other case was attended to. Anyone would have thought Jack's plight much the worse, but the doctor looked more sober over Jill's hurt back than the boy's compound fractures, and the poor little girl had a very bad quarter of an hour while he was trying to discover the extent of the injury. Keep her quiet, and time will show how much damage is done. Was all he said in her hearing. But if she had known that he told Mrs. Peck he feared serious consequences, she would have not wondered why her mother cried as she rubbed the numb limbs and placed the pillows so tenderly. Jill suffered most in her mind, for only a sharp stab of pain now and then reminded her of her body. But her remorseful little soul gave her no peace for thinking of Jack. Whose bruises and breakages her lively fancy painted in the darkest colors. Oh, don't be good to me, Mammy! I made him go, and now he's hurt dreadfully and may die, and it is all my fault. And everybody ought to hate me," sobbed poor Jill, as a neighbor left the room after reporting in a minute manner how Jack screamed when his leg was set, and how Frank was found white as a sheet with his head under the pump. While Gus restored the tone of his friend's nerves by pumping as if the house was on fire. Whist, my lass, and go to sleep. Take a sup of the good wine Mrs. Minot sent, for you are as cold as a clod, and it breaks my heart to see my Janie so. I can't go to sleep. I don't see how Jack's mother could send me anything when I've half killed him. I want to be cold and ache and have horrid things done to me. Oh, if I ever get out of this bed, I'll be the best girl in the world to pay for this. See if I ain't. And Jill gave such a decided nod that her tears flew all about the pillow like a shower. 
"'You'd better begin at once, "'for you won't get out of that bed for a long while, "'I'm afraid, my lamb,' sighed her mother, "'unable to conceal the anxiety that lay so heavy at her heart. "'Am I hurt badly, Mammy?' "'I fear it, lass. "'I'm glad of it. "'I ought to be worse than Jack, and I hope I am. "'I'll bear it well and be good right away.' "'Sing, Mammy, and I'll try to go to sleep to please you.' Jill shut her eyes with sudden and unusual meekness, and before her mother had crooned half a dozen verses of an old ballad, the little black head lay still upon the pillow, and repentant Jill was fast asleep with a red mitten in her hand. Mrs. Peck was an Englishwoman who had left Montreal at the death of her husband, a French-Canadian, and had come to live in the tiny cottage which stood near Mrs. Minot's big house, separated only by an arbor vitae hedge, a sad, silent person who had seen better days, but said nothing about them, and earned her bread by sewing, nursing, work in the factory, or anything that came in her way, being anxious to educate her little girl. Now, as she sat beside the bed in the small, poor room, that hope almost died within her, for here was the child laid up for months, probably, and the one ambition and pleasure of the solitary woman's life was to see Janie Peck's name all over the high marks in the school report she proudly brought home. She'll win through, please heaven, and I'll see my lass a gentlewoman yet, thanks to the good friend in yonder, who will never let her want for care, thought the poor soul, looking out into the gloom where a long ray of light streamed from the great house, warm and comfortable upon the cottage, like the spirit of kindness which made the inmates friends and neighbors. Meantime, that other mother sat by her boy's bed as anxious but with better hope, for Mrs. Minot made trouble sweet and helpful by the way in which she bore it, and her boys were learning of her how to find silver linings in the clouds that must come into the bluest skies. Jack lay wide awake with hot cheeks and throbbing head, and all sorts of queer sensations in the broken leg, the soothing potion he had taken did not affect him yet, and he tried to beguile the weary time by wondering who came and went below. Gentle rings at the front door and mysterious tappings at the back had been going on all of the evening, for the report of the accident had grown astonishingly in its travels, and at eight o'clock the general belief was that Jack had broken both legs, fractured his skull, and lay at the point of death while Jill had dislocated one shoulder and was bruised black and blue from top to toe. Such being the case, it is no wonder that anxious playmates and neighbors haunted the doorsteps of the two houses, and that offers of help poured in. Frank, having tied up the bell and put a notice on the lighted side window saying, Go to the back door, sat in the parlor supported by his chum, Gus, while Ed played softly on the piano, hoping to lull Jack to sleep. It did soothe him, for a very sweet friendship existed between the tall youth and the lad of thirteen. Ed went with the big fellows, but always had a kind word for the smaller boys. An affectionate Jack, never ashamed to show his love, was often seen with his arm around Ed's shoulder, as they sat together in the pleasant red parlors, where all the young people were welcome, and Frank was king. "'Is the pain any easier, my darling?' asked Mrs. Minot, leaning over the pillow where the golden head lay quiet for a moment. "'Not much. I forget it listening to the music. 
Dear old Ed is playing all my favorite tunes, and it is very nice. I guess he feels pretty sorry about me. They all do. Frank could not talk of it. Gus wouldn't go home to tea. He was so anxious to do something for us. Joe brought back the bits of your poor sled, because he didn't like to leave them lying round for anyone to carry off, he said. You might like them to remember your fall by. Jack tried to laugh, but it was rather a failure, though he managed to say cheerfully, That was good of old Joe. I wouldn't lend him Thunderbolt for fear he'd hurt it. Couldn't have smashed it up better than I did, could he? Don't think I want any pieces to remind me of that fall. I just wish you'd seen us, mother. It must have been a splendid spill to look at, anyway. No, thank you. I'd rather not even try to imagine my precious boy going heels over head down that dreadful hill. No more pranks of that sort for some time, Jackie. And Mrs. Minot looked rather pleased on the whole to have her venturesome bird safe under her maternal wing. No coasting till sometime in January. What a fool I was to do it. Go banks always are dangerous, and that's the fun of the thing. Oh, dear. Jack threw his arms about and frowned darkly, but never said a word of the willful little baggage who had led him into mischief. He was too much of a gentleman to tell on a girl, though it cost him an effort to hold his tongue, because Mamma's good opinion was very precious to him, and he longed to explain. She knew all about it, however, for Jill had been carried into the house, reviling herself for the mishap, and even in the midst of her own anxiety for her boy, Mrs. Minot understood the state of the case without more words. So she now set his mind at rest by saying quietly, Foolish fun, as you see, dear. Another time stand firm and help Jill to control her headstrong will. When you learn to yield less and she more, there will be no scrapes like this to try us all. I'll remember, mother. I hate not to be obliging, but I guess it would have saved us lots of trouble if I'd said no in the beginning. I tried to, but she would go. Poor Jill. I'll take better care of her next time. Is she very ill, Mamma? I can tell you better tomorrow. She does not suffer much, and we hope there is no great harm done. I wish she had a nice place like this to be sick in. It must be very pokey in those little rooms, said Jack, as his eye roved round the large chamber where he lay so cozy, warm, and pleasant, with the gay chintz curtains draping doors and windows, and the rosy carpet, comfortable chairs, and a fire glowing in the grate. I shall see that she suffers for nothing, so don't trouble your kind heart about her tonight, but try to sleep. That's what you need, answered his mother, wetting the bandage on his forehead. "'and putting a cool hand on the flushed cheeks. "'Jack obediently closed his eyes and listened "'while the boys sang the sweet by-and-by, "'softening their rough young voices for his sake "'till the music was as soft as a lullaby. "'He lay so still, his mother thought he was off, "'but presently a tear slipped out "'and rolled down the red cheek, "'wetting her hand as it passed.' "'My blessed boy, what is it?' she whispered with a touch and a tone that only mothers have. The blue eyes opened wide, and Jack's own sunshiny smile broke through the tears that filled them as he said with a sniff, "'Everybody is so good to me. I can't help making a noodle of myself.' "'You are not a noodle,' cried Mamma, resenting the epithet. "'One of the sweet things about pain and sorrow is that they show us how well we are loved.' 
how much kindness there is in the world, and how easily we can make others happy in the same way when they need help and sympathy. Don't forget that, little son. Don't see how I can with you to show me how nice it is. Kiss me good night, and then I'll be good, as Jill says. Nestling his head upon his mother's arm, Jack lay quiet till, lulled by the music of his mates, he drowsed away into the dreamless sleep which is Nurse Nature's healthiest soothing syrup for weary souls and bodies. End of chapter 2